the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Mortgage Matters with Misha, your source for real estate market updates and strategies and answers to your real estate lending questions. Now, to provide you with insight and help you navigate the constantly changing world of real estate lending, here's your host, financial services expert, Misha Dimitruk. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Misha Dimitruk, NMLS 694427. Joining you once again for a lovely day to talk with you about mortgage financing, how to finance your real estate goals, give you the tips and tricks that you need in order to structure your real estate dreams. And last week, we ended the show with a challenge for any of you who are listening to everybody take a look at your credit scores. Through your credit cards, almost every person has access to the ability to understand at least one of the Bureau's credit scores. For those of you who participated in this challenge and sent me a text message asking questions about your credit, I really appreciate the questions. It's given me a great understanding of what our listeners are experiencing and wanting to know. And for those of you who are just listening today, please go ahead, log into your credit cards. Take a look at what those free credit report scores that they're showing you are. And if you have questions about how to better position yourself or how to improve those credit scores, give me a call. My number, 831-435-0385. You can email Misha, M-E-S-H-A, at EssexMortgage.com. And you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Now, we've got some great questions based on people's exploring of their credit scores last week because... Really, this is the the beginning foundations of your credit worthiness. It's a very key part of the mortgage process. And for those of you who have not yet applied or who are thinking about applying, but wanting to prepare yourselves for the process, understanding not just your credit score, but your credit history is going to be paramount to your success in this process. One of the things to take into consideration is having no credit actually does hurt you. If you pay cash for all of the things in your life that you are enjoying right now, you may not be getting the credit score that you actually need in order to support your real estate financing goals. This has happened to people who have plenty of money, have reserves, have sizable down payment, but because they don't actively utilize debt, they don't have active accounts, and each account is called a trade line. They don't have active trade lines. The the best scores are going to be achieved by three open and active trade lines, one that you use at least once a month. Uh, And they were surprised to find out that even though they may have reflected a 780 credit score, the fact that they had not utilized debt in the last 24 months actually hurt their ability to get a loan. And means that that's not necessarily that you don't get 
the best loan, a loan, it means that you might not be able to get the lowest rate loan out there. And that's ultimately what the goal is for all of us to borrow the money that we need in the cheapest manner with the structuring that works best for our specific individual scenarios. If you have a question about your credit score, please let me know because I want to make sure that we are talking about all things related to your specific situation. But we did get a text from Laura Ann. Thank you, Laura Ann, for your question. Laura wanted to know, she has three credit cards. She checked all three scores. She got all three bureaus and she wanted to understand what is the difference between those credit scores? Why are they different? Laura Ann, that's an amazing question and something I answer on a, on a daily basis. So the three bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, they all have a different scoring method, meaning that the way that your credit history and your credit profile, the accounts that you've had, how you've paid them, the, the longevity of those accounts, did were they short-time accounts that they carried balances and then they closed? Did you carry balances for long periods of time? Did you make minimum monthly payments? Did you have a lot of debt available to you? Did you have a little bit of debt? Did you have collections? Did you have any derogatory accounts? Derogatory accounts are accounts that have had late payments or um, negative reported information. All of those factors are weighed differently by each of the bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. They assign each quality for each account with a different scoring method, and they come up with a different score. They don't tell us what the scoring method is. So it's sort of their secret recipe for how they come to the determination of your individual credit score. Now, Laura Ann, this is important because there are credit companies out there that provide you with their own score. They are not one of the bureaus and they are notoriously wrong. And the reason being is they are guessing at what the calculating factors are for Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. They don't know because this information isn't made public. So for you looking at your three scores, we want to take a look at your credit report and determine, are all of your accounts being reported to all three bureaus? If you have a credit card with a credit union, sometimes they are not going to report to all three bureaus. Why would they only report to one of the bureaus? Because it costs them money to do so. So they're minimizing their costs and maximizing their benefits to you as a member of the credit union by only reporting under one of the bureaus. Your information is still available for anyone who pulls all three bureaus. So if you had derogatory information, it could be known, but they don't pay to provide that to all three bureaus. Now, derogatory information is really the reason why your credit report exists and why scores ex exist because everything in this industry is based on risk and liability. Your credit score is a numeric depiction of your understanding that when you borrow, you repay. And it's really that simple. The longer you have had accounts where you've shown and demonstrated in having a balance and making those monthly payments on time, the better your credit scores will be. The more variety of accounts you've had. Have you had installment accounts such as personal loans or auto loans where you make the same payment every single month with a set balance from the beginning. And when you have made that final payment, the account is therefore closed. That's an installment account. A revolving account is such as a credit card or a line of credit where you can spend money, pay it down, spend money, pay it back, spend money, pay it to zero and still have the ability to utilize those funds. 
So that would be revolving debt. And where did you keep that balance? This is where balance management comes in for those of you who are really looking to improve your credit scores. Anytime your credit on a revolving account, again, this is one where you can spend on it, pay it back, spend on it and pay it back, gets to the 49% of what's available to you. If you crest that, your credit score falls off a little credit score cliff. And the reason being, and nothing that anyone tells in the credit industry, is that that is viewed as a very risky position in their opinion and how they are judging your credit score. Now, again, they don't tell you this when you take out a credit score, that they're giving you a credit card with a balance available of $10,000, but you should really treat it as if it has a limit of $4,999, because once you hit that $5,000 mark, your credit score suffers tremendously. Furthermore, credit counseling and credit repair and credit and betterment sites will tell you that the sweet spot is keeping your credit balances at 30% or less of what's available to you on any one card. Now, there's a theme here, folks, and I want to make it really clear. None of this information is taught. This is not something that anyone pulls you aside in gym class in high school and says, let's talk about the facts when it comes to credit. This is all information that is learned through industry knowledge and through better resources available in this day and age than in years past, certainly. But when it comes to that credit amount that you have on balance on a card, on a revolving account, the best information that I can share with you is that you get the points for playing in the game. And the game being the credit world, they want you to have balance management. They want you to have account management, whereas the consumer would rather have one account, put everything on the one account and pay it off as they see fit. But in the credit world, you get more points and a better score if you have multiple accounts that you manage all at the same time. So rather than having one account with a $10,000 limit on it that you owe $8,000 on, if you had several accounts and you had all of the balances under 30 and certainly under 49% of what's available on any one of those cards, you would find that you have a better credit score across the bureaus. Additionally, for those people who are looking to improve their credit scores, sometimes people will tell me, well, I have three cards, they all need to be paid down, but I've just been paying on the one to get it to zero. Now, I appreciate that tactic. What I can share with you is that again, it's that overall credit utilization balances that's affecting your scores. So rather than paying one card down to zero and having over 49% balanced on the other two cards, look to bring all of those cards down under 49% and then tackle the one with the highest interest rate first. So Laura Ann, I hope that that answers your question about why those scores can be different and gives you a little bit of information about how to look for the information on your credit report that will give you a tip on why they might be a little bit different if they're not all reporting the same information to all three bureaus. Now, you do have the ability to have a free credit report from the bureaus directly given to you every single year. It doesn't always have the score information in there, but it does give you the account information. And that's really important for people to understand what appears in their credit profile. So when it comes to your credit score, the minimum credit score 
is a top button question that people are asking me. What's the minimum credit score that I can have to qualify for a loan? And the answer is it varies. Uh, lots of institutions will lend with a 580 credit score minimum on FHA transactions. That's Federal Housing Authority. But there are institutions out there that will go lower. I spoke with an investor the other day. They will take a credit score of 500. So when someone tells you this is our credit limit or this is my credit limit when it comes to a credit score, and they might be giving you 620, 680, even 700 or 720 when we're looking at jumbo loans, you have to understand that it's project, uh, product specific, specific to the individual product that they are discussing with you. But there are a variety of loan options for the multitude of credit scores that are out there. If you have been turned down because you've been told your credit score doesn't qualify, I want you to give me a call and let me know what it was that you were trying to achieve and we can talk about a different avenue of opportunity for you. Getting no is not the answer that is given in this industry by qualified professionals. We give you the path to how to achieve your goals. It might not be the one you thought you were getting, but if someone just tells you, no, there's nothing for you, I guarantee you that there is a way and creating the path is what here at Essex Mortgage we do for you. We're gonna take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with Misha. This is Mortgage Matters with Misha with financial services expert, Misha Dimitruk. All right, Bay Area. It is a fantastic Tuesday and we are just past the middle of the month here in October. It's a pleasure to be with you and I really appreciate the participation of our listeners as they send us these burning questions and scenarios that we need help with. Um, so I would like to get directly to a question here from Hank. Hank out of Mountain View is asking, if you were to purchase an investment property, what is the minimum down payment? And if you have crypto as your down, how is that taken into consideration? Hank, again, burning questions by the Bay Area. Um, cryptocurrency has become something that obviously is tangible asset and is utilized in transactions differently. There are a wide and growing variety, variety, that was a tough word to say, variety of investors who will look at your cryptocurrency differently. Uh, and some will require that you actually liquidate and you bring, draw that money into your personal bank account from your uh, crypto wallet into your bank account and paper trail the funds. Now, in that situation, your Coinbase account is going to need to be verified, meaning you have to provide us with evidence of the Coinbase account, show the sale of the cryptocurrency, and then the deposit into your traditional checking account or savings account. From there, that just becomes your tangible assets and eligible for use in a transaction. There are investors out there who are taking into consideration that cryptocurrency has tremendous growth opportunity, and they're allowing buyers to utilize their cryptocurrency as reserves without having to actually cash them in, extract it, and turn it into tangible cash. So, Hank, the down payment on a 20 on an investment property is traditionally 25%. There are alternative loan products that are available. One of the least utilized products out there that I find across all states um, and particularly in the Bay Area is a renovation loan. In renovation loan, 
you can do 15% down of the cost of the property and the cost of the improvements. So if you're purchasing a property that you're going to immediately put work into, and you're going to finance the ability to do the work and pay for those materials, if your loan balance falls under the presently uh, conforming balance of $822,375, you have the opportunity to do a renovation loan and put the minimum 15% down as an investor. Now, at the loan limit of $822,375 is not the purchase price. You could put down more money, obviously, um, but that still gives you a tremendous opportunity in a lot of areas around California for those investors who are looking at buying a property that isn't necessarily move-in ready. You want to put in your sweat equity, you want to put your stamp on the property, and this is a great way to do this. Now, one of the other questions I always get on this is, can I be the general contractor on my own purchase uh, as an investor? And the answer is no. Why is that, you say? It's a very simple one. Your job is to go to work to make the money to make the mortgage payment. If you're working on your own project, you are not getting paid to make the money to do the project. So you need to be focused on making the money to pay the mortgage and someone else needs to be working on the project. So uh, Hank, please give me a call. Let's talk more about your circumstances here and uh, we can detail out the paper trail. Folks, in all of real estate financing, money movement is a hot button issue and always something that needs to be handled very, very carefully and with meticulous detail to attention. Uh, oftentimes, clients will come in and say, well, we have money in various accounts and we want to move it all to one place so that we can have one cashier's check cut or send one wire. And unfortunately, what that does is creates more work for those buyers. We have to show where all of the money, every single dollar that comes into a transaction has to be traced to its origin. That means if you have money in nine different accounts and you decide it's easier for you to send one set of funds to the title company at the closing and you move all of those accounts funds into one account, you now have to send to your lender every single account transaction that shows and very specific formatting. It has to be URL printed at the bottom, printer friendly, from the last day of your most recent statement all the way through to the transaction date. The account balances moving from one to the other. It can be a very tedious process and very, very challenging. So if you're in the middle of a transaction, please, please do yourself a favor. Do not move any money. Send three wires, get three different cashier's checks but do not move that money around because all of your money is verified at its source and needs to be understood where exactly it came from. If you have questions about how to manage this process and you are in transactions, definitely speak with your originator on how to make sure that that gets handled correctly. If you're looking to get into a transaction, give me a call, 831-435-0385. We'll be back in just a few. It's Mortgage Matters with Misha. Once again, here's Misha Dimitruk. All right. In the news this week, when it comes to mortgage rates, you are going to see a lot of different pieces of information. And the stories will contradict each other. Uh, you'll see rates are higher than they've been in months. Rates are out of control. Rates are stabilized. Rates are normalizing. To be honest, folks, we are seeing still 
I'm going to say the U word here, unprecedented times, where the traditional mortgage market predictors are not having the same impacts that they have historically. The jobs report, the bond market, all of these things uh, are coming into play, but are not affecting the market as far as rates go in the ways that they have historically. So the ability for us to track and understand what might come about of different economic reports and how that might affect interest rates up or down is, is still very much an unknown. Um, we, we definitely see trends um, and you know, information that's out there right now is that you know, with the Delta variant, we might see rates coming down more this winter. Well, rates are still very low. And the market that we are watching is moving in very incremental ways. Uh, the cost of funds borrowed, the difference in dollar amount between 2.875 and 3% for most people is not dramatic, is not deal breaking. And with a buyer and in a refinance, you generally have the opportunity to buy down to that lower interest rate. If there is a specific rate or price for rate that you are trying to target for qualifying or for financial stability. So when you're setting up your mortgage or if you're putting together a budget and you are targeting a specific mortgage but have not yet gotten your application in, don't have your paperwork together, are not certain what you even qualify for or what that financing structure is going to look like for you, you know, understand that you want to give yourself a little bit of a buffer. And, and always when the market is fluctuating, understanding what is available to you based on your specific set of criteria is going to be key to helping you understand what the best rate for you and your set of circumstances is. Now, I dealt with a gentleman the other day who had been looking and looking for the right type of financing to take cash out of his refinance. Unfortunately, he was getting divorced and he needed to pay out a spouse that was departing the property and was formalizing the divorce and they required their interest in the property to be bought out. He had called a multitude of lenders asking for interest rates on a cash out refinance. When I asked him what the money was for, he said plainly to pay out the, buy out the interest of his former spouse. And so I said, well, sir, that buying out the interest of a, of a former spouse, if they have owned the property jointly with you for the last 12 months is not a cash out refinance. And his mind just reeled. He said, I've, I've spoken to a multitude of lenders. No one bothered to tell me this. Why? And I said, did anyone ask you what the cash was for? And um, so, you know, it really, sometimes what you think you're getting or what you're seeking out because of what it is you need in the end result, the details of exactly what it is you're seeking to achieve and the expert knowledge of how to get you that is what makes the difference. When you're talking to someone over the phone, if you're Googling or searching online and looking for cash out refinance rates, but you don't know that the scenario that you're speaking to doesn't require you to utilize the cash out criteria, you could be looking in all the wrong directions and all the wrong rate information. So I really encourage you. I know websites are easier sometimes uh, than 
sitting on hold or speaking with a live human, but I really encourage you to speak with a qualified expert about your specific financing needs because oftentimes you will find that that expert has the information that you didn't know that you needed in order to make the best financial decision for yourself. So for anybody else who's in that set of circumstances where they need to pay out the ownership interest to someone who had been an owner on the property for at least 12 months, please know you are not a cash out refinance. You are just a refinance rate and term with the ability to pay off that owner. We will take a break here in just a moment and come back with a couple more questions. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with Misha. This is Mortgage Matters with Misha with financial services expert, Misha Dimitruk. All right, Bay Area. We are at the segment today where we're going to talk about those purchases. For those of you out there who are buying, you have, and you've been a buyer now, probably since the beginning of the summer. You are the listener I'm targeting today with this topic. Understanding your ceiling, the maximum purchase price that you are going to offer, and understanding the market that you are shopping in. Does your ceiling align with the market that you're shopping in? And oftentimes right now I hear buyers are saying they're exhausted by the prices continuously elevating on them. And that as they continue to look at properties, they are finding that they actually increase their budget. Now, that's not unimaginable. When you talk about looking at a a used property, and these are not new homes that most people are looking to buy, in a used property, you get a wide variety of quality and and issues. There's going to be an issue with every home, even new construction folks. When you close on the house, there are things that just need to be fixed, repaired, revised, what have you. But as people look at more and more properties, they see and they look with a more educated eye. So they're noticing things that at the end of the shopping season then that they didn't notice at the beginning. In the beginning, buyers will tell me, well, I walked in and I really couldn't stand the color of the paint. And I try not to smile when I say paint is very affordable to change. What was the layout like? Did the meet the bedroom bathroom count? Did the need of the house, did the need of your family align with what the house had for you? Looking at the property and understanding what that specific market that you're shopping in is going to be your key to success. If you know you're shopping with a budget of 1.2 million and you're seeing properties come to market at 1.2 million, you and your realtor should be looking at the difference between what a property lists for and what the property sells for. You need to understand that gap because that is the immediate market that you are shopping in. And that list price, that is not the sale price. Not typically in this market, any of the way in the Bay Area. Typically, the price that it sells for is what is driving the market. That's what a buyer is willing to pay for that house. And those buyers are your competition. So understanding your competition, knowing the material, the data that's available to you. If you've put in more than 10 offers, that's if, even if you put in five offers, I would encourage you, and this week's opportunity for you to have the challenge to you buyers is take a look at the last five properties that you've offered on. Look at the list price, look at the sale price, look at the price that you offered, and look at the gap that you didn't reach to in order to 
not win that property. See what someone else stretched to and take a look at the market that you're in. Are you under offering? Are you trying to get the best deal in the market? Well, guess what, folks? Every buyer out there is. And the buyers that are capturing the properties are the ones who dug deep, found the best price they could come to that they qualified for, and offered this to stop the shopping game. Now, uh, California Association of Realtors reported a few years ago in California, before all of this boom, that the average buyer shops for 11.7 months. Now, that is amazing. That, that That's even something that's measured. But what that tells us is that there's a lot of people out there shopping for a specific type of property. And in that specific type of property, it's not necessarily that they're saying they want just a two-bedroom, two-bath, 1,200 square feet. They have specific criteria. It needs to be near a bus line. It needs to be near a train station. It needs to be within walking distance to a child's school. It needs to be you know, outside of this school zone. It needs to be close to their work. It needs to be far from their work. They have specific criteria, but everyone's criteria in shopping for a home is different, just like everyone's criteria in qualifying for a loan is different. To gain the success that you need, you really have to make sure that that micro market that you're shopping in, if you've honed yourself down to a specific segment of a town, you need to understand the difference between the list price and the sales price, because that tells you how much over list price the market is willing to pay in order to capture properties. If you are not in that range, you are unlikely to get your offer accepted and you will continue to be a shopper instead of being a buyer. And everybody who sets out to buy a home doesn't set out to put in 10, 20, 15, 18 offers. They set out to buy just one most of the time. And in that, we want to help you understand how to cut that shopping period as short as possible. Because the longer you shop, the more hours you spend, the more homes you look at, the more months go by, the higher the prices get on you. And for those of you out there who are watching the market, you are seeing that if you've been shopping since last year, they're talking about appreciation in real estate values in the 20s in the Bay Area. That means the home that you went out shopping for last year is this year 22, 24% higher than it was when you started last year. It's a huge number given the median home prices here in the Bay Area. Now, in Santa Cruz, the median home price is uh, recently reported as 1.275. San Francisco came in at a million five hundred twenty-two thousand, and San Mateo, city of San Mateo, San Mateo County actually tops the scale in California with a median home price of 1.56. So, for those of you buying in the San Mateo market, I encourage you to definitely understand the difference between the list and the sales price and make sure that your offer aligns with that price gap in order to get your purchase accepted and get into contract and begin your homeownership instead of being a buyer for an extended period of time. If you need better strategy, if you need better support, if you have found yourself sidelined with a not approved offer, if you're not even getting countered, please give me a call and let's talk about 
how we can get you to the best position in order to get your offers accepted. My phone number again, 831-435-0385. You can email Nisha, M-E-S-H-A at Essex Mortgage. And you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. We're going to take a break and we'll be back very shortly. It's Mortgage Matters with Misha. Once again, here's Misha Dimitruk. All right. So for anybody who missed the last segment, this week's challenge was for all those buyers out there to learn the gap difference between the last five properties that they offered on and didn't capture, learn the gap price between the list price and the sale price. Understand how far they missed on those properties. Uh, let me know what, what those numbers are and how you're seeing them. Next week, you can send me a text or email and let me know how that went for you. But I do encourage you to take a look there. As we come to the end of the show, and always, I am a huge supporter of pre-approval. And I talk about it in every show because it is just that important. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are planning on making a purchase in the foreseeable future, if you have thought about it and it's come across your mind and thought, you know, I, I really would like to do that. Now is the time to put in your application, get your credit reviewed, provide your documentation, and be certain of what your opportunities are in this market so that you can begin putting your plan in place with confidence that you understand your own abilities. Oftentimes, I have clients who will come to me and say, I had a, I stopped by an open house. Now they're not pre-approved yet. I stopped by an open house because I was just curious how that property looked and I'm thinking about buying. And so I automatically ask the, are you pre-approved question? And they say to me, no, I'm still saving for my down payment. And I ask them, if you haven't been pre-approved, how do you know what your down payment will be? And they stare with no information because in their minds, they have come with a number sometimes, or sometimes they're just perpetually saving, thinking that they need to have more. And it's always good to have more, sure. But sometimes they find out they already have enough money for their down payment. Sometimes they find out that their down payment is limited by their purchase power altogether. And they have the realization that they've saved enough and can make that purchase now. Sometimes they come to me and say, I, I have this much money. Can I make a purchase? And we talk about what that amount of money will do in various different sets of circumstances. So I am going to continue to stump this with every show that we do and with every set of clients that I speak with. Getting pre-approved, formally pre-approved with a live human, not just plugging your information into a website and printing out a generic letter, is the key to your success. Why? Why not just use one of those online companies where you can put in your information and spit out that letter? Here are a few reasons. One, you don't necessarily know what your eligible income is. For those of you who say, well, I'm salary and I get a bonus and I can just use all of that. There are restrictions when it comes to calculating your income. And maybe not all of your income is eligible. You might be calculating too high. For some of you, you're just working off of your base salary and saying, forget the rest of those bonuses and overtimes and commissions. I don't want to deal with any of that. You might be calculating too low. For those of you who have put into those online situations and told them that your credit score is 700, 680, but they didn't come back with the approval that you were looking for. Did it give you options? Did it say to you, 
well, you, you can't qualify for this loan product, but you qualify for these over here. And these are other alternatives for you. If those online systems are not telling you those things, a live human will. I want you to have the best service. I want you to have the experience and expertise in your team of people supporting you to achieve your goals. And in doing that, you need to be speaking to live humans. So please contact me. All of us at Essex Mortgage are here to provide you with the education and information you deserve so that you make informed decisions that you feel good about and that you understand when the transaction closes, this is your money and your payment, and you need to know how it operates and what to expect in the future. It has been a pleasure being here with you again today. Nisha Dimitra, 831-435-0385, Nisha at EssexMortgage.com. Until next week, be well and be safe. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.